But before we get into the word tonight, I'd like to uh, have my daughter come and minister a song to you. Amen. Mariah. Amen. Well, this song actually came out of a prayer meeting, and I know it was God because the only two songs I've ever written um, on my own were kind of like, it took me two years to write, but this one came all at once, so I give God all the glory, so praise God. Hallelujah. You'll get the meaning as I sing it. As I walk through the 
Praise the Lord. He will always be with us. Amen. Glory to God. Men might forsake you. Religion might desert you. The establishment might come against you. But the Lord will never forsake you. Hallelujah. Okay. We'll wake you up. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open them please to the book of Daniel chapter 2. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2. I felt the Spirit of God growing in a, in a mighty way as the day progressed. And there are times when the Spirit of God will move. And as there, it's no accident to me that there's many ministers in the house tonight. And uh, because this is the most vital hour that we have conceivably found ourselves living in in the history of the church. And it requires men and women of God who are not ashamed to stand up and boldly lead. To recognize the moment and the hour in which we are living in. To allow the Spirit of God to take us to places of surrender in him that are going to be absolutely unequivocally required to endure what is just over the horizon coming upon this planet. Now, I know we don't like to hear those kinds of things because it it has a tendency to scare us. We would not be human if we got excited about such things. But as our sister was singing tonight, I know that you'll be with me. When we walk through the fire. The older that I have gotten and the more that I have walked this walk with the Lord. The more that my hair grew gray and I began to hear the spirit of God. Moving in my heart and speaking to me about the inevitability of my own mortality. Of the fact that there has never been a man who has ever lived that has ever cheated death. Ever. Except for Jesus Christ. Amen. And so whether the Lord tarries or whether he comes, it makes us of no matter and no mind. Because the truth is, is that we are all going to eventually pass from this mortal body into the realm and the dimension of the spirit. Where we will have an encounter with almighty God. That is what the scripture teaches. And that is where our mindset must be tonight. Because that is what he's brought me here to talk to you about. The coming of the Lord. Amen. Let us read. Are you there in Daniel chapter 2? We're going to read a little bit of scripture tonight. So follow along. We'll begin with the 25th verse. Daniel chapter 2 verse 25. Can you say amen? Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste 
And he said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and he said to Daniel, whose name had been changed to Belteshazzar, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has commanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, can they not show this unto you, O king? But know this, and I threw that part in, there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and he makes known to king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Now, verse 30, but as for me, Daniel is speaking, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king that thou mightest show the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. Now, I'm going to read a, a bit of scripture here tonight, and then we'll preach for a few moments. But many of us have not read these stories, and if we have, it's been quite a while since you've read it. So we're going to refresh your memory, and then we'll get into the word. Thou, O king, Daniel is speaking. Thou sawest, behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold. His breast and his arms were of silver. His belly and his thighs were of brass. His legs were of iron. His feet, part of iron and part of clay. And thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet. The feet that were made of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, and there was no place found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Praise God. I'd like to preach for a few moments taken from the 35th verse. The stone that smote the image. The stone that smote the image. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot endeavor to enter into such things without the anointing of thy Holy Spirit. We thank you for all that you're doing in these meetings. We thank you for Brother Christian, who you anointed to preach. We thank you for Pastor and and Evangelist. Brother Joe, who shall minister tomorrow, we thank you for all the ministers and brothers and sisters gathered in the house tonight. Lift us now, O Father, between the heavens and the earth, suspending time and space. Anoint us that we might do no violence to your word. Help us to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, that him and him alone would be glorified. We thank you. The enemy is 100% absolutely, unequivocally, unadulteratedly defeated by the power of Almighty God. And Father, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory by your help, mercy, and grace. And all God's people said, Amen Amen. and Amen. When we pick up this story in the second chapter of Daniel, 
it is at a time in human history, if the Spirit of God will allow us to, that takes us back some 2,600 years ago, because this is when this was occurring, somewhere around the year 600 B.C. Daniel found himself as a young man, along with his brothers Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, taken captured by Nebuchadnezzar, the first of the great empires, really, after the Egyptian empire and the Syrian empires. Nebuchadnezzar would rise and and sweep down into Jerusalem, where, according to the prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah, who had prophesied that, that a terrible force was coming to bring judgment upon the land of God's people, to destroy the temple of God, and to bring a judgment upon the land because the people had forsaken their God. They had removed him from the center of their culture. They had taken away all that represented him. They engaged in a religious form, but they refused to obey the one that they claimed to worship. They cast aside his precepts. They cast aside his law. And instead, they engaged in a religious exercise in the temple. And they found themselves embracing the idols of the nations around them. Living a dual life. To the point that God would tell them through the prophets, take away your sacrifices. Take away your oblations. Take away your noisome and pestilence and, 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 and petulant songs. I don't find any pleasure in them. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. Amen. In other words, circumcise your spirit and have a relationship with me, not a religion with me. All right, we're loading the bus. Amen. Now, <laughs> the Bible says that in, in the first chapter that that Nebuchadnezzar would come down and he would take captive the people. And in this captivity would go Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And as they would find themselves in a foreign land, we can read in the first chapter, you can go back and read it, that, that these young men, they refused to eat from the king's table. He had taken the best and the brightest of Jerusalem and brought them to Babylon some 1,500 miles away from their home. And though they would find themselves on the other side of the desert, some 1,500 miles away from home, prophesied by Jeremiah that their generation would remain in captivity for over 70 years. These young men refused to partake from the king's table. And they said that we will eat our own food. We'll eat vegetables and beans and Regular food. We don't want to eat from the king's table. Give us 10 days. And if we look any worse than anybody else, then we'll go ahead and, and listen to what you're telling us to do. But they knew something. That their consecration would place them in a position that would cause the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And so when time came for them to present themselves to the king, indeed, the Bible tells us that they were 10 times better than all the others who had been taken captive. Hallelujah. That the anointing of the Holy Ghost produced within them an extreme anointing for wisdom, for knowledge, 
for language, for the study of the arts, the sciences, and for the deeper things in the word of Almighty God. These children were only 16 to 17 years old when this happened to them. So what are you telling me, Brother Marty? I'm telling you that there is a generation alive today that if you as preachers, if you as the children of God, if you as the adults in this community and around the world will lift up a standard before them, that it will create an ignition within the depth of their spirit that no matter where they find themselves, no matter what situation they will find themselves in, they will not go away from the things that you have planted in their heart. And God will raise them up. Hallelujah. A prophetic generation is upon us. Judgment came to the elders, but an anointing came to the youth. We read these stories, but you must imagine that when when they came before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had he been in any way dissatisfied with what they did, he would have killed them on the spot. You see, there is a price for serving God. I remember the first time I was invited to preach in a place called Mbarara, Uganda. We were told they had over 150,000 people in that crusade. But before the afternoon service that I would go to preach to, they had a gathering of religious leaders from around the nations of Eastern Africa. My daughters, Mariah and Mary Elizabeth, were with me, and uh, they took me to go preach to the gathering of these leaders. And amongst the leaders, there was over 7,000 of them there. It was massive gathering. And amongst the leaders, which I had no knowledge of at the time, was the city council. There had just been a, a, uh, an election, and in the election, uh, they... They did some crazy things. And the entire city council that was elected were Islamic, Muslim. While the whole town was Christian, pretty much, you know. But they didn't understand that what they were asking to come to was a revival of the Holy Ghost. All they saw was the power of God was sweeping through eastern Africa. Let me tell you something. When you draw crowds of 150,000, 200, I've stood in front of these crowds. My children have, grandpa and grandma have, my wife had. They've sang to these people. Half a million people we've seen. But as I began to preach the gospel, the spirit of God began to take me in a different direction. And I began to say things like... (laughs) Muhammad is not God. That there is no God but Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And I remember trying to get away from that, but not re- And it's one thing if you say that in America. I mean, who's going to come get you? Huh? But when you're standing on a foreign soil where uh, just down the road they had blown up a couple American embassies in Tanzania and in Kenya. Where during the World Cup they sent uh, a young kid in there strapped with suicide bombs to blow up the people that were watching. the guy, All in the name of their false god, Allah. And for all intensive purposes, the ministers and the pastors were afraid to say anything or to come against that spirit. 
But the Spirit of God came upon me and began to move me in that direction. And I began to preach about Jesus Christ. God manifested in the flesh that Muhammad was a false prophet. That Muhammad never healed one person, never opened a blinded eye, never fed nobody, never walked the water. There's only one Savior, one baptizer in the Holy Ghost. His name is not Muhammad. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Hallelujah. Well, I could not imagine the kind of resistance I was feeling. But when we got driven back to the hotel, the pastor who was holding the crusade, his wife told me, she goes, I said, I apologize. I didn't mean to go in that direction. She said, no, you don't have any idea what you just did. She says, these men have come. And they're radical Islamic people. And no one is confronting them. It is the spirit of God. Now, word reached President uh, Museveni back in Kampala. And he sent a contingent of over 100 soldiers to surround our hotel because of what I had preached. My daughters will tell you, they'll testify to it. And they sent uh, these special forces with German shepherds that sniff out dogs, these dogs that sniff out bombs because we had received death threats. That crazy American, we got to kill him. And the girls didn't know, and they saw the dogs coming through the hallways, and, and they went to pet them, and they were like, don't touch the dogs. You'll ruin them smelling these things, you know. I remember uh, my wife was with me, Mariah, Mary Beth. We were in uh, Burundi, Africa. Same thing. We were confronting Islamic aggression all throughout East Africa, and at the same time preaching the gospel. Flat out. And we were told at the end of the revival, at the end of the crusade, the the president sent word to us. And he said, look, you can't leave tonight because word has reached us that the Islamic rebels in the hills have got wind that there's a group of Americans here. And there's only one road in and one road out. And they're waiting to ambush you and take you. He said, I can give you a military escort and you can go out by way of Rwanda He says, but once you get to the border, I can't guarantee that you'll even be able to cross or you'll be there for eight, ten hours, if at all. He says, wait till tomorrow and I'll and I'll set it up so that you'll be safe as you travel down the road. There is a price to pay. One last story. I remember I was in. uh, at a pastor's conference in Uganda, there's several thousand gathered there that night. We had just gone live with. The Lord had allowed us in connection with another brother to build a television network in Uganda. And for the first time, they had a Christian television network that was owned by the people. And that was the night that for the first time, they went live all over Uganda. Over 75% of the nation, I was told, tuned in to that live service. That early that morning, I had read an article. There was a guy staying in our hotel. His name is Muramar Gaddafi. You ever heard of him? He had proclaimed himself in this newspaper article I read as the king of kings. He proclaimed himself as the rightful king of kings and the Lord over all Africa. And he proclaimed that Allah was the only one and true God. And that Jesus Christ was a false prophet. So 
Well, that got me riled up because nobody said nothing. So by the time I got to the service last night, that night, the place was packed. And I had not intended to do this because you don't want to be irresponsible about such things. But the Spirit of God came on me. And we were live across the nation. And, <clears throat> and I pointed my finger in the camera and I said, Mr. Gaddafi. I said, I heard you said this, this, and this, what I just told you. I said, but let me tell you something. There is only one king of kings. And his name is not Muammar Gaddafi. His name is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And then the Lord had me say this. And soon you will meet him and you will know who the real king of kings is. And within 18 months, Gaddafi was dead. Fast forward to a, a, a rainy night in Honduras. Gracias, Honduras. Pastor Jeremy was my interpreter that night. There was over 10,000 people gathered in the stadium. And uh, where they came from, I have no idea, Brother Stan. Because <laughs> the city was only 3,000 population. There was over 10,000 in the stadium. They said you couldn't get a hotel room for six hours in any direction. People had come from everywhere. They could not believe that we were holding a service in the poorest city in all the country. But they came. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And there was some knucklehead by the name of Hugo Chavez from Venezuela. He went about proclaiming that all of Central America belonged to him. And that got a hold of me and I, Brother Jeremy's interpreting and the Spirit of God came on me. And we, now remember now, we were being broadcast live on Canal 6 or Channel 6, which is the largest satellite company in all of South and Central America. We were being seen live across all of South America, all of Central America. And Spirit of God came on me. And I don't know how we went this way, but he had me point my finger in the camera and tell Mr. Chavez that, <laughs> that he was... That there was only one king of Central America, and his name was not Hugo Chavez. You were there. <laughs> and I said, uh, and Mr. Chavez, soon you're going to meet the king of kings, and you will know who the real king of Central America is. And Pastor Jeremy was interpreting, and when he looked at me, he wouldn't say it. <laughs> and I hit him. I said, say it. <laughs> And so he said it. Say it louder. <laughs> and so he said it louder. And uh, within one year, Mr. Chavez was dead from cancer. What God is calling us to, children, in this hour, is to have the boldness of faith and the belief in his spirit that we are the children of the Most High God. That we are a militant spiritually organized, revolutionary army of the Most High God. I'm not trying to hype you, because this is where we're headed. A confrontation between light and darkness has already begun. If you think that we're safe here in this nation, you better open your eyes. Because trouble is coming. Trouble has already come. Whether you can see it, discern it, or understand it, it has begun. But the closer that you pursue God, 
the more that you are in his word, the more that you draw near by the spirit of almighty God, you're going to hear within your spirit. I'm coming. Now, Daniel is 2,600 years ago. Remember what we just read. The king has a dream. Now, Daniel's about 18 years old, 1920 at this time. The king has a dream, and he can't remember his dream. So he calls all his magicians and soothsayers, astrologers, and root workers, and all them crazy people. And he says, look, I had a dream. Tell me what I dreamt. And he said, dude, there's never been any king who's ever asked anything like this. Tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation of the dream. And he says, he says, no. He goes, you guys are a bunch of phonies. That's basically what he said. He goes, you're just trying to buy time until I quit feeling so intense, and I'll forget about the dream. He says, if you don't tell me the dream, I'm going to destroy all your houses, all your families, everybody. All you crazy people. I got all, you're all eating from my table, and you can't do this for me? Well, this included Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were going to be slaughtered. And Daniel, as a young man, hallelujah, God had positioned him, strategically positioned him. Listen, every one of us is being moved by the Spirit of God right now into positions and spheres of influence that whether small or great, that's not the issue. The issue is, will you be faithful in the place that he has placed you? It blows my mind that Daniel would come to Ariok, the chief guard, and tell him, what's up with the king, man? Basically, why is the king being so hasty? And he tells him, well, he had this dream, and da 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 right? And he says, he says, he says, well... He goes, tell the king, I'll interpret the dream. Basically, give me 24 hours. If you read your Bible, you'll see that he goes home to his other teenage friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he says, guess what, guys? You better start praying. (laughs) Can you imagine? What did you tell him? I mean, why'd you have to drag us into this? I know they weren't like that, but something, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, Daniel learned through that first test how God would give him favor. There's something about the beauty of a youthful heart. Remember what Jesus said, unless you become as little children... You shall in no wise even see the kingdom of heaven. There's something about this young man, Daniel, who would live to be some 101 years old and see the coming and falling and rising of empires. But think about how extraordinary this is. That in the midst of an impossible situation, this young man had had such a rich development 
of a relationship with God that though he was 1,500 miles from a nation that didn't even exist anymore. What does this tell us? First of all, number one, Daniel didn't just come upon this knowledge by himself. He came from a home life. Mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins, who instilled within him a respect and a reverence for God that was at such a level that even when the others from Judah were carried to Babylon and ate from the king's table, he would not. Never underestimate the power of the elders in your community to dare to believe God to equip these children and these young people for greatness in this hour. Because when you least expect it, the spirit of God will kindle on the inside of them and bring them to positions of greatness that they might testify against this world of its sin and proclaim of the greatness of the God that they've known since they were children. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For though they found themselves carried 1,500 miles away, they were not alone. The Spirit of God went with them. Hallelujah. And he says, he says, I can interpret the dream. And he goes home. And the first thing he does is he hooks up with three other individuals that he knows that they know how to get a hold of the Spirit of God. My God, I don't think you're hearing what I'm telling you. (laughs) These are kids. We're not talking about, you know, the Sanhedrin or the elders of Israel here. We're talking about 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds. See, it's a type if you understand biblical typology of what the Bible talks about in the last days, I will what? Pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And then what does it say? Your sons and your daughters shall what? Prophesy. Hallelujah. And, And then what does he say? He says, they will prophesy and I will show signs in the heavens. My God. Hallelujah. See, there's a revival taking place even in this church amongst the youth. I don't know, did the choir sing tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. On the res? You can't touch the kids on the res. Oh, you better repent from that. Because what they're tired of seeing is the phony religious exhibition of nothing that has no power. But if you give them Jesus Christ, if you give them the spirit of God, if you preach the word. Oh, see, you don't like to hear that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. I don't care. If you'll give them the real deal, holy field, they will respond. Hallelujah. 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 A revival has come to the young. It is a sign. It is a sign. Daniel was a sign of an end time generation. And it was revealed unto him. He was brought before the king at 18, 19 years old. And he said, oh, king, my God. He's not just talking to the mayor of bishop. He's talking to the most powerful, demonically possessed man in the world. Oh, 
I'm getting extremely excited, whether you are or not. The boldness of the Holy Ghost. Daniel walks into the king and says, what's up with you? What's your problem? Let me tell you something, king. There is a God in heaven and he reveals secrets. Hallelujah. And you know what, king? He's going to show you what's going to happen, not only to you, but to every pretender and empire that will rise up until the end of time. Hallelujah. My God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, my God. When he walked in, Nebuchadnezzar's throne, the city of Babylon itself was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. The hanging gardens of Babylon were, were a mystery to behold. The architecture was, uh, 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 was just uh, splendiferous. Is there a word like that? It was magnificent. <laughs> Imagine the evil that was in the air. Here is the most powerful man on the face of the planet who has made a decree that thousands of people are about to be slaughtered, their houses turned into dunghills, their wives and their children decimated and killed. And it was the longest night you can imagine. Listen to me. Daniel, what Daniel did was so profound that when you read in the gospel that the Magi came from the east, you know who the Magi were? They were the descendants of the people who were saved as a result of that 20-year-old boy having a vision from God and revealing the impossible. And they followed his writings all the way to Bethlehem. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 600 years later, give or take a year or two, they would look in the heavens and they would see the stars and the constellations that Daniel had spoken about and they would follow. These were kingmakers. They were preserved because of what this young man did. Hallelujah. And the Gentiles came to the birth of the Savior because of what this young man did. What Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did. He walks into the court. Now remember, this is a king who would heat the furnaces of Babylon seven times hotter a few chapters later to kill anyone who would refuse to bow down to an image of himself. This guy was a maniac. (laughs) And when you walked into his presence, I could imagine the intensity. Now remember, Evil is inhabiting this king. Babylon is spoken about all the way to the end of time in the book of Revelation. The spirit of it. And when Daniel is led into the chamber of the king, imagine he's protected by by his praetorian guard, if you will. The finest special forces in the world surrounding the king. The air is pregnant With a boy, you better have an answer or you're dead on the spot. My God. How did Daniel even know that he had heard from God? How did he even know that he had heard from God? At 19 years old, he had that kind of discernment? Yes. 
Hallelujah. Glory to God. God is calling the young people of the world. He walks in. Nebuchadnezzar's face is contorted with anguish. He's angry. He's waited one night longer than he was prepared to do because he wanted desperately to have an answer. And here comes Daniel as the boy. Now remember, brothers and sisters, Daniel walks in. And I know because of the word of God teaches us that the anointing of the Holy Ghost was all over him. Hallelujah. He walked in with his shoulders squared back and the power of God flowing through him. My God. He didn't just have a vision. He was taken into the realm of the dream world of somebody else's dream. My God. Hallelujah. They prayed, they interceded. He fell asleep and the Bible says he was carried by the spirit and transcended out of his vision and dimensional spiritual reality into bursting upon the dream and the reality of a wicked king. And there he shone what the man had dreamt. My God. He says, King, I'm going to show you what you've dreamt. And what you have dreamt is not just for this time, but it's for the generation in the last days. Hallelujah. He says, King, you saw an image. And, and, And he says here in verse 31, Thou, O King, you saw, behold, a great image the great image whose brightness was excellent. So what the king saw was a satanic anointing upon world empires because the image that he saw was glowing bright with a shining light, a demonic light. His name used to be called Lucifer. And the word Lucifer means One who bears the light. It is he that has been allowed to anoint the global kingdoms throughout the ages. And Daniel is allowed to peer into the vision of the king. And he begins to reveal to him. He says, look, the image you saw was exceedingly bright. A false anointing. And he said, what you saw was an image of that had a head of gold. And the image had arms and chest of silver. He had thighs and loins of brass. He had legs of iron. And then he had feet of iron mixed with clay and ten toes, partly strong, partly weak. And then he says, and then what you saw Hallelujah. Was a stone. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
This is a stone that you saw, he says. But this stone, it wasn't taken out of this mountain you saw by any hand of man. This is a God thing, King. What you saw, King, whether you realize it or not, was the coming of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh! He says, he says, he says, my God. He says, uh, verse 34, he says, you saw till that a stone was cut out without hands. See, what was he talking about? Two things. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and the second coming of the Lord. Because the stone first had to be cut before it could hit the image at the end of time. You don't even. I'll stand. Pastor, stand. Remember, this is a teenage boy talking to a global superpower, a leader. Babylon, there was no place its influence did not connect. It is a type of the end of time world system. A spiritually wicked system. And he sees, he says, you saw until this stone. Verse 34, thou sawest till that stone was cut out without hands. See, no man put Jesus on the cross. Well, I thought the, I thought the Jews did it. No, I thought Pilate did it. No, they were simply puppets in a drama that had occurred before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. And he says he was cut out without hands. That's a, that's a cutting. He's, he's preaching about the cross, yet it's hidden from the undiscerning. Hallelujah. See, he had heard his elders talk about Isaiah who had said, who had said, uh, a sign was asked of the prophet. What did he say, mama? What did he say, daddy? He said, behold, a virgin shall conceive. Hallelujah. What is it like in the realm of the spirit? When God took this young man and allowed him to penetrate Mysteries in the spirit. Places that we have very little meditated on, but we must begin to understand. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, it'll seem like it, 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 it's already happened, right? Well, it has. How is that, Brother Martin? In the 
collective will of the counsel of God. Where God conceives things and purposes all things according to his own will. It is from the perspective of forever. And once he thinks it, it's established. But it, it does not realize its materialization until it comes into the realm of time and space. But it's already happened. I heard a great preacher, Dr. Mark Hamby, once say that, 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 <clears throat> that time and space are the landing pad for the purposes of eternity. All right, you'll get that about three in the morning. All right. Okay. Help me, Holy Spirit, because this is powerful. Listen, he, he's revealing to him what he saw the night before and what the king saw 48 hours before. My God. So what does this teach us? That the vision that the king had, it never dematerialized in the spirit. It remained an ever-present thing. 48 hours later, in the realm of time and space, the young boy Daniel is taken and pierces the veil into the realm of the spirit, and there he beholds what he's seeing. It's there. God, if you will, interjected it into the realm of the soul and spirit of the pagan king. It's as if he injected the reality of it into his psyche. And in so doing, brought it forth into the earth realm, which is a realm that has compartments of, and of dimensional reality. Where things exist. And it's there that the boy is taken. And it's there that he is not only shown this great image. But he's shown from the time of where he finds himself. All the way down human history. Some 2,600 years later into our generation. With every subsequent world empire that shall, should rise. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ back into heaven, and his second coming again at the end of time. Because that's where the stone will hit the image. On the feet. Now he says, he says, behold, O king, there's an image with a head of gold, arms and silver of silver, and chest of silver, uh, uh, thighs and Loins of brass, legs of iron, feet mixed with clay and iron. Now, he goes on to interpret, and he says this. He says, O king, you are that head of gold. You are that head of gold. Well, a king had a tremendous ego, so he liked hearing that. But what was he really saying? He says, King, what you don't realize is that though it was put in your heart to be a servant in the hands of Almighty God to correct his people, you did it with such a viciousness that, that God 
has begun the prophetic time clock with your kingdom. And because of what you've done, you have set in motion something that is going to lead to a stone who you have no concept of yet that's coming. Hallelujah. He's coming, O king. He says, you are that head of gold. And he says, after you, there shall come another kingdom. That's exactly what happened. The second kingdom that overthrew his grandson, Belteshazzar, that came was the arms of silver. Now, arms are two, right? One arm right and left. It represented the Medes and the Persians, for they were the next empire that came. After them would come another great world empire, symbolized by the brass on that image. It represented Alexander the Great, for he came after the Medes and the Persians, and he defeated Darius, the king of the Persians, who had years before came and did war against, you know that famous movie, The 300 Spartans and all that? That's what that's all about. And then when Alexander would die, Daniel would later see a vision of how his kingdom would split into four parts. And the world would be divided into four parts. It would be his four generals that would over, overtake that part of the world. Cassandra, Lysimachus, uh, Ptolemy. Who's the other one? I can't remember right now. Four generals. But then after them, he says, another kingdom would arise exceedingly fierce. And he saw him as legs of iron. Well, what was that kingdom? The Roman Empire. See, what most people don't understand, what Daniel was being shown, was that the Roman Empire, remember how he saw him on the image? He saw him with two legs. That's exactly what would happen to the Roman Empire, those of you who know your history. The Roman Empire would split into two kingdoms, the Eastern and the Western Roman Empire. No one can really pinpoint the destruction of Rome. Some point to the Germanic tribes coming eventually, like in 400 AD, and sacking Rome. But the truth of the matter is, is that Rome morphed itself into a wicked religious system. I'm a Catholic by religion. (laughs) So I can say these things. But remember, on the image, the longest part of the image are the legs. And notice what God was revealing to the young man and to the king. Was that time, a length of time would go by. A long time. That Rome and its influence would split into the eastern and western hemisphere. And it would last all the way till the end of time. Hidden, but there. And in the end of time, what does he see on the image? He sees an image that is the feet. It's the final part of the image. It's made of clay, and yet it's made of iron. 
which means that the vestiges of Rome still remain within the system. But that it's man's attempt, the clay, because men were taken from the clay. It's man's attempt to put back together a global empire. Now, if you know anything, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, they parallel each other. If you will read in the book of Revelation, you will read about 10 kings, right? Who give their power unto the Antichrist for one hour. Well, isn't it interesting that at the end of the image, there's 10 toes. (laughs) Partly weak, partly strong. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation that all the world will wonder at the beast whose deadly wound was healed who had suffered a wound by the sword. Uh Now I know that, you know, Bible teachers and eschatology teachers, they like to teach you that that means that the Antichrist is going to get shot in the head and raised from the dead. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what, uh, what Daniel's revealing to us. He's talking about successive global empires and how they affect God's people, both Jew and Christian alike, by the end of time. And that what we are being prepared for and what he is revealing to us is that we are being moved into a revived global empire that will have within it the the substance of iron which represents Rome. Now listen, which is the global empire that crucified Jesus. Now you're scaring me. Yeah. Now, he goes on to say, am I boring you? All right. He goes on and he says, verse 43, he says, whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, They shall, listen, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. What does this mean? Remember what Jesus said? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be just prior to the coming of the Son of Man. Well, if you study Genesis, you will see Genesis 6. The Bible speaks of a time in the distant past when the angels of God left their first estate. They broke out of the dimension of eternity and came into the realm of the earth. They took themselves wives and they mingled their seed with women. And monstrous men were born unto unto women. The giants of old. That's what the scripture teaches. It is what led to the flood. You ever wonder when you look at these megalithic structures around the world, and we've traveled everywhere around the world. We were in Machu Picchu just a couple years ago. This city is 14,000 feet 
up in the Andes. And they built a city and a temple out of stone and granite that is, some scholars say, 500 miles away. And some of these stones weigh 30 tons, 80 tons, and they're perfectly aligned to particular constellations in the heaven, and nobody knows how it happened. Well, the rabbis teach us that during the time of Noah that these monstrous giants grew up, some 13 feet, 14 feet, 15 feet tall. They were ravenous, and they were consuming everything upon the planet. It was, a, it was an age of sorcery and wickedness and corruption of the genetic quality of mankind. And it led to a position of violence because what began to happen was a, a genetic mingling of demonic and human DNA. And what led, what ended up happening was the people of that age became ferocious like animals. To where the Bible says the earth was filled with violence. Genesis 6, read it on your own time. And it says that God grieved in his heart that he had made man, right? Not that he had made man at all, but that he had made man upon the earth. But then it says that Noah, hallelujah, was found perfect in his generations. What does that mean? He lived a sinless life? No. His seed, his DNA was uncorrupted. And so the line of the Messiah was preserved in the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now Daniel says... The same condition is about to exist in our day and age. Jesus prophesied it in Luke 21, as it was in the days of Noah. He even said as far as, as it was in the days of Lot. What are you talking about? In the days of Lot, do you remember? The world had so gotten into Lot and his family that it necessitated the prayer of intercession by Abraham to, to, to plead on behalf of his nephew and his family. And so God sent powerful angels into the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and tried with all their might to pull Lot out. But he still wouldn't leave. And they kept saying, hurry, hurry. But so wicked had those cities become that when, when Lot hid the angels within his house, the Bible says that a spirit of homosexuality had so gripped society that they became animalistic in nature. They came to Lot's door and demanded that he give them those angels for their sexual desires. My God. Do you hear what the Savior has warned us is coming? Is it any wonder that in this nation that claim that we are endued by our creator with certain inalienable rights, that all men are created equal and and, and that we all have the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that the framers of our country who worshiped God, though they don't like to tell you that they worshiped God 
and God blessed this nation. Now, some 236 or so years later, our Supreme Court is legislating homosexuality in every corner of our communities and society, yet all the while removing anything that is before our eyes that will give witness to us of the God who is in heaven. In America. Something is wrong. Something's wrong. Do you have anything against these people? Yeah, they're perverted. Do you hate them? No. Christ died for them. He loves them. But I don't have to embrace their ungodly lifestyle. I was warned of it. And we are to lift up a standard as Daniel did so many years ago who unashamedly told the king, I serve a God of the impossible who's about to reveal to me what you dreamed. And remember, king, what you have done is so vicious that you have set in order the clicking time hands on the clock of prophecy that will lead to the ultimate destruction of this world system and the second coming of the Lord. Even before he came the first time. Hallelujah. He says, read it. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay. Who are they that he's talking about? They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. He's talking about an introduction of the demonic into our generation. It's coming. It's here. It's almost like a bad nightmare, man. I I prayed and do pray for our president. But I saw him over in Europe last week or this week, a couple days ago. Everywhere he went, he got standing ovations from a territory of the world. I was just over there with my daughter in Scotland and in London. England, Scotland, who had once known the great move of God, who had sent missionaries all over the world, who built some of the most magnificent cathedrals where they would worship God. You go to those places today, and it's as if you're walking into a refrigerator. There is no God in their societies anymore. And it's there that our president receive standing ovations. Why? What is it that they see in him that they so love when they reject the God of the nation that he comes from? Uh Okay. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but listen to this. It's not going to work. Why? Because there's only one rightful heir to this planet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, the whole world... See, the Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation... I'm going to close here in two, three minutes. It says, the Bible teaches us this. It says, he causes all. Small and great. Rich and poor. To receive a mark. In their forehead or in their right hand. Here is the mind that has wisdom. Let him count the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. His number is 600, three score and six, or 666, right? Uh-huh. Now, the word causes means that over the time of what Daniel saw, really, 
over the length of history that the spirit of the age would begin to move mankind in an ultimate rejection of God. And that you're going to wake up one day and go, what happened, Lucy? (laughs) What is going on? But it'll be too late. Revelation 13, 10 says, herein is the faith and the patience of the saints. Why do the saints saints need patience at the end of time? Could it be that we've been sold? Oh, gosh, I'm going to get in trouble. There's a bunch of crazy guys out there on the Internet. They look for, like, every little thing that I say, and then they, (laughs) you know. Could it be that the development of a pre-tribulation rapture, oh, I'm going to get in trouble, (laughs) is a Western concept? but not accurately scripturally taught in the Bible? Do you think that our brothers and sisters who gave their lives in the Colosseums of Rome thought that they were in the middle of the tribulation period? You, what, you, don't, want, you don't believe in the rapture, brother? Of course I do. The Bible teaches the rapture. I hope it occurs, like they say, seven years before all this and that and the other. I really do. I'm not a masochist. You know, I don't want to be hurt. I want to escape like everybody else. But why did he say, herein is the faith and the patience of the saints? The scripture says that a time is upon us where the very core of our faith will be shaken. Everything we thought we knew will be challenged. The virgins awake and they have to trim their lamps. The lamps represent the word of God. The trimming represents anything that causes us not to see clearly. That the events and the unfolding issues of the day or of human history are going to demand that we take a logical, honest, and sober look at what the prophets really said. Now Jesus said through his apostles, he has not appointed you unto wrath but then in another place he says in the world what you will have tribulation but he says never fear for I have overcome the world yes the wrath of God does not occur until the ending of the sixth trumpet and the blowing of the seventh read Revelation 16 15, Revelation 16, verse 15. As soon as the sixth, vial, seven, sixth trumpet is blown, become the seven vials, the seven trumpets. But in between the blowing of the sixth and the seventh, there's the 15th verse. Jesus is speaking and he says, Behold, I come as a thief in the night. Right there. Hallelujah. And then, bam, bam, bam. Vial one, vial two, vial three, vial four. Poured out, poured out, poured out, poured out the wrath of God. But we, like a sea of glass, John said, mingled with fire, we stand before the throne of God. We've been taken off the earth. 
whether alive or martyred or just dying of old age, we will be standing before God. We will be holding the harps of God. We will be worshiping God like Pastor Christian preached the other night so beautifully about worship. We will be worshiping him before the throne. We'll be singing two songs. One is the song of Moses and one is the song of the Lamb. This is how I know that both Israel and the Christians shall be rescued very soon. Hallelujah. Now, he says, it's not going to work. They won't cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings, hallelujah, in the days of these kings, the final kingdom, the final world, world empire, which is where we're headed to right now, he says what? He says, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Uh Hallelujah. In other words, the stone which no man could cut out of that mountain, O Nebuchadnezzar, he's coming because really, O king, thou head of gold, you, by your viciousness, has set in motion something that is ultimately going to lead to the destruction of rebellious mankind. And in the days of the final part of the image which God allowed you to see as a testimony against you. In the days of those kings, because you were so corrupt, you unleashed a spirit of satanic rebellion into the hearts of the Gentile world that would seek to dominate a planet that never belonged to them. And it will grow. But at the end of time, so weak shall it become. It starts out like gold, but it ends up nothing more than iron and clay. (laughs) So feeble is the attempt. But in the days of those kings, hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the days of those kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But you know what it's going to do, king? It's going to break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and the kingdom of God shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay. I love this. Notice. It starts with the head of gold, ends with iron and miry clay. But when Jesus comes, he's going to destroy it from the from the end to the beginning. In reverse. So Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Oh my God. This is a 19 year old son of the living God saying these things. Hallelujah. So Nebuchadnezzar. For as much as thou sawest, verse 45, the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron. Starts with the iron. He's going back up the image. He's coming after you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) He's coming after you, O king. 
<laughs> Glory to God. Oh, don't think that no one can destroy God's people. Hallelujah. There is a reckoning coming, King. Yeah, he's coming at the end of time, but he's going to destroy it in reverse and you shall not escape. Hallelujah. 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 (laughs) I'm too happy. All right. He said uh, that it broke in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God, he's made known to the king. What shall come to pass hereafter, the dream is certain. The interpretation thereof is sure. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. (laughs) Oh, yes, my Lord, he's coming back again real soon. Oh, yes, my Lord, he's coming back again real soon. Would you stand to your feet? Old Satan will be bound a thousand years. We're going to have no tempter then. That's when Jesus comes back to earth again. Oh, soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Yes, soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Yes, soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah. 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 Say it again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to see the King. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Could I get my ministers to come up here, please? Sister Linda. Brother Jeremy, Brother Fernando, our guest preachers, Brother Joe, would you come as Brother Roy gives this altar call and Sister Grace.